We're going to focus a little bit uh, this morning um, on a specific text in the sermon from Psalm, it's Psalm chapter 90, the Psalms. And I want you just to listen to the words while I read it. It's a very, uh, I'm going to say this tongue-in-cheek, uplifting and encouraging psalm. Uh, And I'm going to explain why it's um, not so happy here in a little bit. Um, But we're going to read and just uh, meditate on these words, Psalm 90 verses 1 through 12. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust, and say, Return, O children of man. For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood, they are like a dream. Like grass that is renewed in the morning, in the morning it flourishes and it is renewed, in the evening it fades and withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger, by your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all of our days pass under your wrath, we bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70, or even by reason a strength of 80, yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So teach us to number our days, that we may get a heart of wisdom. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. That's not a kind of a psalm that you want to read right after singing some wonderful praise and worship music. Um, It's a bit of a buzzkill, I guess. Um, But as we kind of entered in the new year, uh, Pastor Anthony, he he said to me, uh, we have kind of two off Sundays here, and he said, I want to preach the New Year's Day sermon on Psalm 1. And I said, that's great. And and so last Sunday, if you were here, uh, Pastor Anthony, he preached on Psalm 1, and it was a really good sermon. It was a great sermon. And his point was sort of, you know, when we go into the new year, we make all these resolutions, we set off, set out to do all these self-improvement types of things, and in a way it's kind of foolishness, like you can resolve to pray more, read scripture more, lose weight, all these things, Um, but really at the end of the day, God is going to save you, it is the work of God that brings you to the finish line, and amen. Um, It was wonderful to hear. And knowing that he was going to preach on Psalm 1, I thought that uplifting psalm, that encouraging sermon, I wanted to offer a counterpoint to, or sort of an expansion to. And so I said, I'm going to preach on Psalm 90, which I just read a part of for you. And I'm going to say that indeed God does do everything for you when it comes to your salvation, but you better be resolving to be a better person because it matters what you do. And you may think after you hear my sermon or after I just kind of summarized Anthony's sermon that, wow, scripture must contradict itself or maybe the pastor's um, arm wrestle and fight afterwards and service. And, but actually scripture always talks this way. It's always reminding us that there is nothing we can do apart from God, and God is constantly saving us and doing his saving work, and at the same time, having salvation and knowing Christ means 
We need to make good, wise, faithful decisions and follow Jesus faithfully. And so it's both. We can't save ourselves, but once we're saved, we chase after Jesus. We run after him because he's called us and we hear his call. And so we're going to unpack Psalm 90 and I'm just going to add a little bit more to what Anthony shared with us last week. Uh, The Psalms are interesting. Most of the Psalms were written by David and uh, he's always reflecting on his life uh, and that's what the Psalms are. They're sort of a poetic reflection on things that have happened in life. And so when you read the Psalms and you can kind of see like, you know, David, when his heart is weary and he's praying that penitential prayer, you know, create in me a clean heart, O God, renew a right spirit in me. You know, maybe he wrote this psalm after he got busted for staring at Bathsheba on the roof next door, right? And so he sort of mournfully sort of works his way through his life experiences and his interactions with God. But Psalm 90 is unique because it's a psalm, if you read in your English Bible, that's actually um, attributed to Moses. And so what in the world was going on in the life of Moses that we get this uplifting uh, piece of literature? And we don't know exactly when it was written or what exactly was going on, but most, um, most biblical scholars attribute this psalm to probably some things that happened to Moses in Numbers chapter 20. In Numbers chapter 20, we learn that Moses lost his sister Miriam. She dies, and so he's mourning the loss of his sister. But not only that, you know, Moses has led the people of God out of Egypt, and into the wilderness, and they're on their way to the promised land. Everyone is expectantly looking forward to the promised land. And on their way, he hears, we're thirsty, we're hungry, are we there yet? If you have kids, this sounds familiar. (laughs) But it's like nonstop, and hundreds of them, and they're adults. And, 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 And he gets frustrated And I understand this. And he gets so frustrated that he actually sort of suspends his trust in God for a moment. And as they're crying out for water, he, he strikes his rod up against this rock and it splits open and water comes out. And the whole thing is like a breakdown of leadership and trust and his frustration. And there's a consequence for it. Because of this sin, God tells Moses that he is not going to get to enter the promised land, which is really hard to hear, considering everything that he has done. But he's not going to. He's going to get to see it, but not step into it. So that's going to really weigh heavy on him as well. So he's lost his sister. He's lost entry into the promised land. And he also loses his brother Aaron as well. So it's like a trifecta, just one thing right after another. And so, of course, when we come across Psalm 90, we see the word, you, this is God, you return man to dust. It sort of harkens back to the Genesis story where we know God breathes life into man from the dust, but uh, Moses is sort of acknowledging that God also returns man to dust. And we say this on Ash Wednesday, from dust you came and to dust you shall return. There's sort of this acknowledgement of death 
and the loss of life. And he goes on in verse 10 to say, the years of our life are 70, (coughs) or even by reason of strength of 80, maybe 80, yet their span is but toil and trouble. I mean, what Moses is basically saying is that most people are going to live around 70 years, and I guess if you uh, abstain from bacon, work out often enough, and live a healthy, healthy lifestyle, you might get to 80. But whether it's 70 or 80, guess what you all get? A life of toil and trouble. <laughs> Yay. And life's a struggle. Even in its brevity, it's a struggle. And so, on one hand, like time flies, because 70 to 80 years is not much time. It really isn't. It goes by very, very quickly. And yet, at the same time, as we walk through this life, because of the trial and the struggle, sometimes it seems like time is at a standstill. Things don't happen quickly. Things don't resolve like we hope they will. No matter how much we cry out to God to show up, to intervene, to bring healing, to bring justice, to bring peace, whatever it is, it seems like God doesn't show up and we're constantly waiting and waiting and and nothing seems to happen. So 70 or 80 years can seem like a long time. (coughs) Sorry, I also have some cedar shenanigans going on, but see, toil and trouble right now. when we just celebrated Christmas, and, and this sort of Christmas sort of encapsulates this uh, idea of brief and also quick to me, or, or, or long to me. Um, when you're a kid, what is December like? It's like the longest month of the year, right? You, you put up the decorations, you put the presents under the tree, and then you have to wait an eternity to open them. It takes forever. If you're a parent, it's like, oh my gosh, Christmas is in three days. I'm not ready yet. Right? It just flies by. It goes by quickly. And we just celebrated Christmas, and, and just as you kind of understand, time is relative depending on where you're at and what you're looking forward to and what you're paying attention to. Uh, by the time we get to Christmas, and I mentioned this in my Christmas Eve sermon, God's people had been waiting thousands of years for the Messiah to show up, and they were expecting something great when he showed up. And what happened when Jesus showed up? Nothing. Like, for most people, life went on. Like, nothing changed. It affected Mary and Joseph the most. Right? And then, after that, there's something in the church that we celebrate. It's called Epiphany. Epiphany just basically means aha. It's like the revelation of the Messiah. And so there's these wise men in the East who had been painstakingly taking their time, being patient, studying the stars, anticipating the Messiah to show up, and they finally see all the signs appear. And they began to set out on a journey to see Jesus. And how long does it take them to get to Jesus, this epiphany moment? By the time they get to Jesus, it's been around two years since he's been born. Two whole years. The wise men show up with their gifts. They see Jesus. And what happens? Nothing. Nothing happens after that. That's it. And so you wait thousands and thousands of years for the Messiah to show up. You wait two more years for some wise men to acknowledge that he's here. And nothing seems to be happening. And you can kind of get 
the sense and begin to see why people sometimes lose faith because they're constantly seemingly waiting on God to do something and it seems like he's just not showing up. And then what do we do after Epiphany? In the church year, the next thing we do, like this Sunday, in the liturgical calendar, we talk about the baptism of Jesus. So we fast forward about 30 years from the time that the wise men catch up to Jesus, approximately, and Jesus is finally baptized, and the baptism of Jesus is seen as sort of the start of his ministry. Um, in Scripture, immediately after his baptism, he's swept away by the Spirit into the desert and tempted, and, and he begins his journey with miracles and healings and forgiveness and challenging authorities and the teachers of the law, and all these crazy things happen. But then this is where the story speeds up. We've spent so much time waiting to get to Jesus, and his ministry finally starts, and, and then how long do we have him? Three years. And he's crucified. And so uh, there's this whole thing with time that kind of messes with us as God's people. We finally get to this moment where we're like, finally. And then things happen. And it's done. This is kind of what Moses was experiencing. He'd finally gotten freedom, and they're on their way to the promised land, and, and then just one thing after another starts breaking down, and it seems like it's just never going to come, come to be. It's never going to happen. And so Moses cries out in verse 4. He says to God, For a thousand years in your sight are but as a yesterday when it is past. You know, what Moses, in his faithfulness, is sort of acknowledging is that even though he's frustrated, even though things aren't happening at the pace and the rate that he wants it to, in the midst of it all, a thousand years is a day to the Lord, and God is infinite. And so what Moses is pointing out is like, if, if this side of the stage, I'm going to walk into the darkness here, is like creation, the beginning of time, and then we walk over all the way to this end of the stage, and this is the end of time, the resurrection, the new creation. God stands above it all, infinite, and in the middle of it, we're like this little smudge here on the altar. Just a little mark in a great expanse, expanse of time. And when you, when you think about God as this infinite, above everything, it seems like this is insignificant. But when this is you, this is everything. This 70 to 80 years is everything. And Moses knows this. He acknowledges that his, his time, his ways are not God's ways. He knows God stands above time and space. And, and God will bring justice and healing and peace. Maybe not here, but here. It's going to happen. But while we're here, Moses says, teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. That is, in our 70 to 80 years of life, may we have a heart of wisdom and let's number our days. Let's pay attention. 
And this is why I don't have a problem with New Year's and New Year's resolutions. Because, I mean, sure enough, New Year's rang in, and maybe for many of us, time was flying by, and we thought, what happened to last year? I feel like we just started. To others, it's like, this is the longest year of my life. Thank goodness it's a reset. No matter how you experience the time, the main thing is, whether it's in a new year or a new month or a new week, we should count our days and make decisions wisely because they're limited because this is all we've got until the resurrection because we are finite. And so what we do, the choices we make, how we live, it does matter. But we need to seek after the wisdom of God. You see, so much of the world is, is about living and staying young, but this is misplaced. And so this is the thing. I, I, and this is what Anthony was kind of harping on last week. There is a foolishness in the New Year's resolution, but it's not because we resolve to improve ourselves or resolve to do better. It's what we're resolving to do better and what we're resolving to improve many times. Like, I could say... By the end of this year, I hope I have six-pack abs. And that would be foolish, because I've never had visible abs my entire life. I could resolve to not eat bacon. Or not, I don't smoke, or not smoke. I'll talk about that in a second. I mean, there's so many things that we can resolve to do, but really, are we resolving, are we intending, are we setting our intention to be in line with the will of God? Are we numbering our days in such a way that God's wisdom is in our heart? Uh, the Apostle Paul talks about this in Ephesians. He says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Understand what the will of the Lord is and intend to follow that will. Number your days, count your days, pay attention to the number of days you have because this is it. And so what is God's will? Well, God's will is that ultimately you live. You see, this is the problem. He never wanted death. He wants you to live. And so yes, we will live and we have that promise of life. Christ came and died on the cross so that we could have the gift and promise of new life and resurrection. Death is defeated. That is the wisdom of God. But not only does he want us to know we will live in a way that we have not experienced, but he also wants us to live now. We're not just waiting to die. He wants us to live now. And so what does the wisdom of God say about counting our days and living now? Well, the thing of it is, is this is why um, Anthony's sermon was so on point, is a lot of times we put the emphasis on the wrong syllable. We focus on the wrong things. We intend and focus on and set resolutions. We're resolute about things that don't matter. It's foolishness. 
And you, you can just see it, just paying attention to the news with the Speaker of the House shenanigans and everything. It's like, who cares? It's foolishness. This is the world. It's nothing. There will be no capital in the future. The power plays won't matter. There will be no power apart from Christ. So much of our thought and energy and mind goes to things that are going to fade like that grass and be no more. It's going to be like nothing. So the mistake that we make is we make things a law and a burden on other people and ourselves in such a way that prevent us from living. And it's not what God intended. And we do this in very subtle ways. Like we'll say, you can't eat bacon. Why not? Are you Jewish? Right? We're free to eat. Eat. Eat bacon. You may not make it to 80 years, but, that's, but it's not a, a sin against God. If you want to eat bacon, it's fine. Here's one that got me in trouble with the 745 service, maybe. You can smoke. Like, it doesn't say, it's not a sin to smoke. Now, are you going to make it to 80 years if you smoke? No. Is your body a temple? Yes. Should you smoke? Maybe not. But smoking is not going to send you to hell. It's just going to send you to the grave. You see? So smoke, if that's what you want to do. You're free in Christ. I guess that's what I'm trying to say, is like we, we create extra burdens and laws in our life that we try to follow, but we miss the whole boat in the process. What does God want from you? What is the will of God? He wants you to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. If you quit smoking but you don't love your neighbor, whoop-de-doo. So we number our days. And the will of God, the wisdom of the heart that we're called to resolve to is because of what Christ has done so that we will live and because we're called to live in the now is we love God with everything and we love others. We change ourselves and serve others. So this is what God calls us into. This is what living looks like. This is what freedom feels like. I praise you, I praise you. It's, it's not the extra burdens that we place on ourselves and on other people to behave and act a certain way. It's simply this, the freedom to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, and mind and to love our neighbors as ourselves. And in that moment, as we number our days, if we live each and every day in that way as we follow Jesus, you will be blessed for your 70 or 80 years. And then everything that we wait for, pray for, groan for, God will fulfill in his infinite being when he comes again. And so we give thanks and praise for a new year 
and a new opportunity every day as we count our days. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.